This podcast is produced by the Center for Deployment Psychology at the Uniform Services University of the Health Sciences. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Uniform Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. In addition, references to any specific companies, products, processes, or services does not necessarily constitute or imply endorsement by the Uniform Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome to CDP's podcast, Practical for Your Practice. Where we give you actionable intel to support what you do. One colleague to another. Hello, everybody, and welcome to CDP's Practical for Your Practice podcast. I'm Corinne Lefkowitz, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Kevin Holloway. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Corinne. How are you doing? Not bad. How about yourself? Hanging in there. You know, it's that time of year when it's just like everything's coming together all at once. So It's a little little overwhelming. People are sick. People are uh, stressed. But- right. But we're totally calm and chill, so that's good. We are. This is a moment of being able to decompress a bit and talk about cool things and talk to fun people. So, Excellent. Well, thanks for that segue. Um, We are, in (laughs) fact, talking to a cool person today and talking about a topic that I know pretty much nothing about. So uh, I'm pretty excited to learn more. Um, We're going to be talking about MATCH, which is a modular approach to therapy for children with anxiety, depression, trauma, or conduct disorder. I understand why they... Yeah, I understand why they came up with an acronym. (laughs) (laughs) And we're joined today by Christine Heflin, who is a military behavioral health child social worker here at CDP. Hi, Christine. Welcome. Hello. Happy, happy, happy to be here today. (laughs) We're glad to have you. We are very happy to have you. And if I may, I'm going to take a moment to tell listeners a little bit about your background. and Sure. Um, why you're here with us today. So uh, Christine is um, responsible for identifying best practices for expanding telehealth services to military children and delivering evidence-based training to behavioral health clinicians and community providers caring for military children and families. And you have a background in MATCH, ADTC, which is, uh, and I'm so glad that you're here to educate Kevin and I, as rest, as well as the rest of our listeners here, on what it is. Because um, I don't know about you, Kevin, I just know so little about this. Same, same. And very interested. Yeah, because we, we know that um, our military families need evidence-based approaches as well. So with that long intro, Christine, <laughs> could you tell us a little bit about MATCH? Sure, absolutely. So you said a lot of, of what MATCH is already. So It is a modular-based treatment. And when we say modular, what we mean is that um, MATCH was distilled from different evidence-based treatments to make sure that clinicians are serving our young people um, appropriately. Sometimes what happens is when clinicians work with young people, they present to the clinic not just with one problem. So they're not presenting with just anxiety. Oftentimes, if not all times, our children are coming in with comorbid conditions or significant psychosocial stressors. And instead of clinicians trying to, on the fly, try to figure out what should I do for this condition? What should I do for this condition? And essentially not be providing evidence-based work, in comes match where you have what's called a focus interference um, framework where your young person may come in with anxiety as a treatment target. And that's the focus. 
and say, for example, um, conduct or disruptive behaviors start to present themselves. That may be the interference. And so MATCH has developed and designed evidence treatment where you can kind of move back and forth between the different evidence-based treatments to um, address each particular comorbid condition or psychosocial stressor that may be popping up. And so MATCH was really developed for anxiety kids that present with anxiety, kids that present with uh, depression, kids that present with uh, trauma concerns, kids that present with disruptive behaviors or conduct disorders. So would it be fair? I mean, on one hand, it feels like this is looking at the fact that kids come with all sorts of things and generally it's not one single discrete thing. And at the same time, I'm hesitant to call this transdiagnostic. I don't, it sounds like there, there's still very specific um, kinds of presentations that this is uh, tailored towards. Correct. So it's tailored only towards anxiety, depression, trauma, and conduct. But what you might find is if you have a child, particularly for our military-connected children, for example, if you have a child that presents with anxiety, and I'm working with this young person on anxiety treatment, we're doing really well, and there's never been a history of any conduct concerns, for example, and mom or dad returned from a deployment. And what we see is that there's an increase in disruptive behavior, not only for the Mm -hmm. primary caregiver at home, but now also for the returning service member. We have all of these kind of um, disruptive behaviors or even concerns about um, strengthening and repairing the relationship within the match system, we can now move from the anxiety target and then move towards maybe the attending module in the conduct system or uh, ways to praise effectively in the conduct system. And then once we've we've managed those particular behaviors and also provided psychoeducation on why that might happen, then we can move back into the anxiety treatment. So funny that you said that, Kevin, because as as Christine was talking about, I was thinking this is a trans diagnostic right. treatment. Well, I started going there, yeah. <laughs> so, it, it, I mean, what an incredible uh, treatment approach to be able to address all of these. Um, I don't want to say that they're all common considerations, but I can imagine as somebody who doesn't work directly with children that there is a lot of overlap and there would be a lot of comorbidity. And they are the four most common um, disorders that we would see in, in young people. Mm-hmm. So if you're working with children and adolescents, you're likely to be working on one of these four treatment areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, you mentioned the um, the modules, uh, so to speak. Can you tell us a little bit about it being a modular approach? Sure. So there are 33 uh, different modules, right? So don't get overwhelmed. Uh, it sounds <laughs> like too late. we only have 30 minutes, Christine. <laughs> so I won't go into all of them, but there are 33 modules. What I also like about Match, though, is it's not a lockstep approach, right? You don't have to do this, do this, do this, do this. It's really a guide um, to, again, like I said earlier, prevent clinicians from just pulling from what they know. And um, what you'll see is um, there is, like I said, there's the focus. And then the text will show you different modules that you can use if they present with some interference. So again, if we're working on anxiety as the focus, you'll then see um, a list of 
modules that you can start to work on if CODNEP becomes a uh, area of interference, similarly to trauma, if trauma becomes an area of interference or uh, depression. And so when we say interference, we don't necessarily mean that it's interfering with anything other than it is a barrier to treating the target treatment. And that's and it's a area that is significant enough that we need to kind of direct um, attention to. So it sounds like to me, as, I, as I'm imagining this, you, you have one area that's kind of the, the main area to focus on. I'm using the, even the words, right? The focus on. and But being able to fluidly move in and out as conditions change, as, as kind of the most, I don't know, the, the oppressing issue is coming up. And it's not that we're saying now that, you know, it's like uh, issue of the week or, or, you know, flavor of the month kind of thing, but we're saying, Hey, this is still our primary focus, but we're recognizing that as different variables are changing, then the, the way that this is manifesting and, and maybe even getting in the way can be changing. And so we can fluidly address those as they're coming without abandoning whatever our, our, um, approach has been that that is the approach is to recognize and respond to those. Absolutely. And the great thing about match is that the way that these modules came about is through um, a distilling process. And so researchers really took a look at what are the most evidence-based practices for anxiety? What are the most evidence-based practices and interventions for trauma? What are the evidence-based um, interventions and strategies for conduct and depression? And that's how these modules came about. They were distilled and then placed into this interference uh, part of the program. Could you give us some examples? Perhaps I know we don't have time for 33, but can you give us an idea of what some of the, these modules are? Sure. So I would say, so there are a couple. So um, let's say in the uh, anxiety module, for example, and these, none of these are going to sound different than than what you would think of when you think of anxiety treatment. So uh, there would be learning about educa- uh, anxiety, which would be psychoeducation. Uh, there would be um, practicing, which would be exposure treatment. Um there would be, for example, in depression, there might be, there would be coping blue. And what that is, is um, really helping the young person identify certain uh, negative thinking patterns. Within the trauma um, section, there's safety planning and developing a trauma narrative. And within conduct, there would be timeout, effective uh, praise, uh, labeled praise versus unlabeled praise, uh, attending and what that looks like. And so as a child provider, uh, and even as an adult provider, for depression and anxiety, it's not necessarily something that you maybe have not worked uh, with in the past. It might be called something a little different, like practicing versus exposure. Um, But as a child provider, in your experience and in your in your training, you've learned about these things. And so um, there are different interventions uh, to provide education on maybe um, psychoeducation on, for example, emotional vulnerability or predisposing factors and perpetuating factors. It might not be called those things. It might be called something different within match. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for summarizing some of those modules. Yeah. 
just with the little that you've said, what I'm picking up on and what I already like about it is that match seems like it incorporates those techniques that we already know work for different uh, kinds of concerns, like psychoeducation in general being a very evidence-based practice, exposure for anxiety, et cetera. It seems like it really incorporates, um, again, those techniques that we already know work. Um, So that's what I like about it. But I'm curious, you as the expert, what is it that drew you to match and what what made you want to learn it and implement it? So what I find really valuable about Match is, um, and I'm going to use quotes because it's literally quoted in the research, is uh, the real world setting. And, you know, what Match strived to do was to um, treat young people with comorbid conditions in community um, health centers, um, community treatment centers, and really gather their information and their data from particular types of kids versus um, researching um, in uh, academia, for example, and where we might have someone who presents only with anxiety or presents only with depression. And so I really appreciate um, the intentionality behind working with young people and making sure that this is actually going to be something that we can um treat our young people who are are going to be coming with a lot of different things. Um, and I find it really valuable that match can be used across um, the spectrum of the kids that we see. There, There is, I believe, literally something in match that you could use with any child that you're working with. So I feel like that is really uh, what I find most valuable. I, I think really it's like- really, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I think it, you know, when I, first started learning about match, I thought to myself, you know, if I was still doing clinical supervision and I had a new um, clinician that was, you know, just coming out of school or didn't really have much education, I I thought to myself, I would really love for them to learn this modular approach in addition to the other evidence-based treatments. Um, I just feel like it uh, makes sense when you are doing the work uh, with the children. Mm -hmm. Now you've given me a couple of things that I want to follow up on. Um, (laughs) First, I I really appreciate you talking about the intentionality of it. And I didn't realize that distinction of in terms of how it was created. Um, And I think that really addresses maybe some of the criticisms or to say it more nicely concerns that um, providers may have about sort of this ivory tower research that people think has happened right like these are these are real kids in a community setting that have been um, um, surveyed to see what it is they actually need given their complicated presentation so um, I love that distinction and then Christine, you said that you would like people to get trained as you would like providers to get trained in this alongside other evidence-based treatments. So if somebody wants to get trained in match, wants to learn more, how do we, how do we, where do we put, send them? How do they do that? Well, um, I'll start by saying that um, the DOD kids study is actually uh, developing a match training, Mm. but it is going to be, a, unfortunately, it is a pilot program right now, and it is going to be for um, our military uh, clinicians. So any mil- military clinician who is on installation that's interested in uh, 
receiving training uh, can reach out to uh, the director of training, Dr. Jennifer Ulbrich, and uh, reach out to her about whether or not they could um, benefit from the training and whether or not she sees fit that they can um, join in our pilot program. We'll be starting that in February of 2024. Um, and then in addition to that, um, they're the authors and the creators of the MATCH program um, are uh, also do trainings. And those trainings are out of the look on the PracticeWise website to see if they're offering any match trainings as well. And that's all information we can put in our show notes. So listeners, if you're you're curious to follow up on either of those, we'll have those in our show notes. You can find the contact info and links and that kind of stuff there. I've got a question for you that occurred to me that, and 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 you can even tell me if this is an appropriate question or not. I know a lot of therapy for kids often involves therapy with parents or sometimes even, you know, the best therapy for kids is where the kids don't come at all. And a therapist works with a parent to help change conditions at home or contingencies or just, you know, kind of helping with the, the environment. How much parental involvement is involved in match and, and the work that you do with kids there? So that's a great, a great question. Um, so I'll first say with Match, the parents are um, engaged along the way. Mm-hmm. We want the we want the parents to be co-therapists. Really, that's what our goal is for the work. In general, when we work with with young people, we want our parents to be co-therapists for the conduct module. The children are not part of the conduct module except for one module. Mm-hmm. So the entire work that we're doing with um, the families is with the caregivers in the conduct module. In the other modules, um, you are working with the young person and you're also working with the uh, caregiver. It's really important because um, oftentimes you um, you need for the adults or the loved ones to be a support for them and you need them to understand what the young person is learning. You need them to know how to prompt them to use their uh, uh, coping skills. You need to know for them to know the signs and symptoms of maybe distress. So you need your your parents to be on board all along the way. And same with match. That's a that's a great question, Kevin. Again, one that I did not think about because I'm so. Uh, it's so foreign to me working with kids. I haven't done it since grad school. And so um, all of these things that you're bringing up and these questions that you're having are just reminding me that uh, while match might include techniques that I'm familiar with, it, they really are tailored and, and specified to work with children and their families, which is so important. And here's another thing. I think if you were a provider, you haven't worked with young people since grad school, you're like, oh, you know, I don't remember any of my child development stuff. I don't match would be an awesome um, training for you to attend, because as you're learning about the different modules, you 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 know the evidence based stuff. You already know that. Right. And so match really does a great job developmentally making sure that you know, when we're giving psychoeducation, when we're talking about exposure, when we're talking about feelings, emotion regulation, 
we're doing it at an appropriate developmental level. And so for an adult clinician who is kind of, maybe I do want to get back and working with, with little people, but I'm concerned, match would be a great training to take. I love that. You've really normalized that for me, Christine, <laughs> feeling like I'd be really out of my element. Um, and I'm guessing there are other providers who maybe feel, who are listening, who maybe feel similar. Like I, I want to work with kids. I know that there are kids in need, but I don't know where to start. And it, this, absolutely. Yeah. This is maybe a, a nice transition, a nice way to get to get started and transition one's skills. Absolutely. I, I absolutely agree. And I think many, if not all adult clinicians uh, are kind of in the same position. They haven't done any child work since their training and um, kids are fun. I love them, but um, kids are hard. And so, you know, even just ha having a conversation with young people, you have to kind of tailor your language and so, and I think Match does a really great job of helping you through that. Love that you said that because I want to switch gears a little bit on you. Yes. And that is, you know, recognizing that working with kids might be a little bit different than, you know, for folks who work with adults all the time, you know, there's, there are differences. And you know, like Corinne say, man, as we're, we're, maybe as we're entering into a, a, a new area in our work or as we're, you know, trainees, like all of us have this time where we're not feeling 100% competent. In fact, I've been doing work with adults, you know, for a long time. And there's plenty of times I still, you know, make, don't, don't make the best, uh, you know, choices in the moment. And so one of the things we've been doing this season is asking all of our guests to, to open up a little bit because we, we, we don't want to perpetuate the notion that the only way that EVPs can be done is perfectly or else, you know, things are, are falling apart. Like we want to normalize when things don't go exactly right. And so we've been asking everybody and wondering, I think we gave you a heads up that we're going to do this. I hope you so. did. <laughs> okay, good. We've been asking all of our guests to, you know, maybe if you're willing to share a time with us where things didn't go perfectly and, and, you know, not as a, let's call it out and, you know, kind of ridicule more of like normalizing imperfection and then talking about how you recovered. So I wonder if you could share with us a, a time when things didn't go well for you. Yes, I can. Um, I was uh, <laughs> saying a little earlier, I was like, how can I describe this uh, in a way that people are like mortified, like, oh my gosh, how could you do that? <laughs> but I think it's absolutely uh, appropriate. I think it's really great that you guys are asking this question because so many of us have these moments where we're like, ah, you know, that was a misstep and we yeah. don't share it with anybody. And then if we're not sharing it with anybody, we're not learning. So I think it's mm -hmm. really important. It's actually kind of links back to your, your question, Kevin, about engaging parents. Mm -hmm. And um, in my practice, um, uh, a couple years ago, a lot of my work was with young teenagers, actually. So this is not that specific, but mm -hmm. a lot of my work was with teenagers who um, were severely uh, dysregulated. They had a, a lot of history of suicidal behavior, um, history of uh, non-suicidal self-directed violence. And um, I, I really enjoyed working with these young people. I was also, I looked a lot younger than I was. And I... Uh, it's funny how that's a benefit in some situations, but really right. a problem in others. It, it was a problem. And I also would get a lot of questioning. You know, I mean, these were kids with severe con concerns and parents were concerned that I maybe didn't have enough experience, although mm. I had a lot 
more experience than they, th- they thought that I did. And um, what I noticed, a part of our programming is really providing information on, um, you know, predisposing uh, reasons why you might be severely dysregulated, what emotion regulation is, to really kind of take the shame and guilt out of some of the uh, reactiveness that the, the young people were um, experiencing. That was kind of the the foundation of the work that we did. It was um, a part of a, a DBT skills protocol with, with mm-hmm. the children. Um, part of DBT skills protocol with um, skills, not the full treatment, but DBT skills protocol with uh, teens is also to have um, work work with the parents. And what I noticed was I um, shied away from working with the parents because I was consistently being asked about my credentials and mm-hmm. I made it very easy yeah. for them to just drop off. They were just dropping the kids off and they were just fix my kid, fix my kid, fix my kid. And I was doing hard work with the kid. They would they would make such great gains and then something would happen. It would be something with a high conflict uh, relationship with mom or dad or a caregiver. It never failed. It was some conflict with the, the parents and we would be back to square one. Mm. And I was like, I need to stop avoiding these parents. <laughs> and so... You know, I I said to myself, you know what, I need to reach out to all of these parents and say you need to participate in the treatment that we're doing with your young person. One, because it's part of the work that we do. We we need to do it together. Um, So what I did was I reached out to the families, let them know they couldn't drop them off anymore. They needed to be present for the first 15 minutes of the session just in case I needed to meet with them. And these are the times that we're going to have scheduled feedback sessions. These are the times that we're going to have psychoeducation sessions. And this is the group that you now need to participate. It's going to be a multifamily discipline uh, group that you're going to now have to participate in so that you can learn and understand about what your young person is learning like I said earlier, you can learn about signs and symptoms. You can learn about emotion regulation. You can learn about some of the um, reasons that might be setting. It might be uh, environment. It might be health. It might be relationship. It might be any any other stressor that might be causing some of this uh, polarized thinking. Parents need to learn that so that they can learn how to better support their children. And so I had to. Toughen up and be ready for her. The how old are you? When did you, you know, when did right. you come what kind of treatment? What are your trainings? Um, and of course, when I did that, um, I saw better gains with my young people. Yeah. And not only did I see better gains with my young people, I felt more confident in the work that I did because mm-hmm. although I was being challenged a lot more. I knew that I knew what I was talking about, right? I knew the research, I knew the protocols, I knew the work. I wasn't just pulling this out of the air. I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. And because I was confident when they were kind of challenging me, they were like, oh, she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> and then I started getting a lot more referrals. So, so it, I love it worked that. out. <laughs> I love that because, you know, in, in some ways you're, you're modeling that all of us at any point in our careers can take a step back and just asking, like, are there any adjustments I can make? Can I recognize in myself places maybe where I'm, you know, kind of avoiding something uncomfortable yes. or, or that? And and 
in, intentionally make a decision to do something different, which is really cool. Yes. And uh, that perfectly captures what we're trying to do with this confession. So thank you for sharing that. No I have follow-up questions and, yes. and thoughts. Um, one, I, I, I'll say it less eloquently than Kevin did. I love that you shared an experience of being insecure yeah. in the moment, <laughs> right? And yeah. figuring out, okay, I can't, you know, I, I got to address this. I got to do yes. that. And in fact, by doing that, you ultimately became more confident because you realized you knew more than you realized and, and you were able to communicate it. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. But I'm, I'm really curious to know how parents responded when you basically changed the yeah. rules of the game, totally appropriately, but you, you changed the rules of the game all of a sudden. How did they react? So I used to have a nickname among my colleagues. I, I did really well with difficult teens um, for, for whatever reason. And they used to um, say that I was really calm and very, very firm, like the firmest, calmest person that you ever could work with. And they would send me a lot of hard to treat kids. And I think uh, they were shocked, but because it wasn't, you know, you will do this because I said so. It was, we need to train, change this to help your young person. Um, it, I do think it came off in a firm way. It was very uh, 180. Um, they respected it. I, I think, um, I think again, because I was more confident and more firm and kind of more direct, they respected that in the clinician yeah. more. Yeah, makes sense. I could totally see that, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh. Well, I I will second the thank you for sharing that example. Such a good one that I bet a lot of our listeners can relate to. Yeah. Well, I think we've come to the point in the episode where we try to summarize things up and leave our listeners with some actionable intel, things to um, take home uh, from, from what you've said. And I guess I can start us off by mentioning some of the areas and some of the uh, contacts where you said folks could reach out to potentially get training um, with MATCH ADTC. So you mentioned that starting in 2024 for military providers who are actually on installations, our uh, DOD kids program, um, that's our informal name for it here at Center for Deployment Psychology, you'll be putting together a training and that'll be accessible, correct? Yes. So we will definitely include the um, website and contact information in our show notes. And then it sounds like if folks aren't part of the uh, military provider family, then they can potentially um, pursue training through PracticeWise. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So we'll add uh, info about that in the show notes as well. I would add a third actionable intel as well to, um, based on your confessional, if you will, to (laughs) recognize when one is feeling uh, insecure, recognize that's a normal part of development as a therapist and not avoid it and address it. That's something that I'll be taking from this. (laughs) Absolutely. I agree. Kevin. Can I add a fourth? Yeah. yeah. And, and that is, this is a little more general, but, you know, we always are interested in kind of the feedback or the reactions or, or questions that our listeners have. And so, you know, there's a lot of ways to contact the folks in the show. We, we have a, a voicemail box if you're interested. It's at speakpipe.com slash CDPP4P. 
I'll say it again, speakpipe.com slash CDP P4P. And this, you know, if you want to leave us a voicemail message, this can be anything like, hey, I listened to Christine Heflin. That was really fantastic. This was resonated with me in this way. Or, hey, I have these questions. Or, hey, here's a topic you guys keep not talking about that I want to hear about. Or if you want to give us your own, like, you know, EBP confession, um, we, we're going to have one more uh, episode this season where we're taking listeners' confessions and including those. Um, but we may do that in the future and future uh, f- seasons as well. So you know, if you'd like to, to talk to the, the show, talk to, to the folks and, and either give us some feedback or some questions or, you know, a confessional, we're, we'd love to hear from you. So uh, leave us a message at speakpipe.com slash CDPP for P. Thanks, Kevin. Um, thank you so much, Christine, for joining us and telling us about Match ADTC. I think this is going to be exciting for a lot of our listeners, and I really enjoyed hearing about it as well. So thank you for being here. Same. Thank you Wonderful. so much. Thank you for having me. This is super fun. And to all of our listeners, we'll talk to you next time. See you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to Practical for Your Practice. Please feel free to subscribe, like, and share. Until next time.